thank you so much, guys. So um, just to start, I'm going to kind of ask some individual questions as we go down the panel here. So now, as now Creative Group, I'll ask you guys collectively, um, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to have built this corporation yourself? I like can start. start. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so when I started the agency, um, my intention was to be more of a, uh, well, I wanted to be creative, so I went to school for design, as I mentioned, and I ended up working a lot with these clients one-on-one. -on -one. They were very small clients at the start to help them grow their businesses. Um, I have a background in a nonprofit as well. I started a nonprofit back when I was in high school, and so I had that passion for kind of helping people grow stuff and make an impact. Um, but I didn't have a typical agency path or model to follow, and I hadn't worked really in an agency besides a couple of really quick internships. So uh, I learned from basically expanding my model of being a freelancer to hiring friends, hiring colleagues uh, that I found through networking, through a lot of events. And so I would get these projects and say yes to everything and then figure it out how to execute later. Um, at the time, I didn't have a proper business model or business plan, so the pricing was a little bit uh, off. Obviously, uh, it was too low, but uh, I figured out a way to build out a team through a very lean model, which was just contractors and freelancers, and still positioning it as a full-service team. Um, it lasts like that for a few years, got a number of uh, interns, then we brought on a salesperson, and from that point, we were able to really secure our core service offering and bring on someone such as April, who started off doing uh, business development as an intern. But then we had a room for accounts people, which would help us actually manage those clients so that I wasn't doing everything from promoting the agency to sales to client work to design to management to payroll. Um, so we got our own space. We ran a bunch of events, grew our network, grew a meetup group to 2,000 people just from hosting these free events in our space. And uh, from that point forward, we tried to structure the agency with the team. Um, again, I, I don't have a background in business, but I learned a lot as I grew. And, and in year four or five, I ended up getting a business coach for about a year um, just to help us with some of the growth issues. A lot of this stuff has to do with hiring, firing, and sales. Um, and a number of issues come up as you scale very quickly that you would never have thought would be an issue. And of course, as a founder, it all, it all falls on you no matter what. So um, one piece of advice is if you're going into business because you like that particular part, for example, if you're a designer and you like design, it doesn't mean the best business is to start an agency because you're gonna be doing very little design, right? Uh, thankfully, I like a lot of the other aspects of entrepreneurship. And so I continued with the agency, so we're, we're six years in right now. Uh, Remind me what the question is. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about building an agency? Because this is also a bit of an entrepreneurship option to talk about here. So. Okay, cool. So when Daniel started the agency, as he mentioned, he started off with a super lean model. So when I joined three years ago in a business development intern role, obviously I didn't have a lot of autonomy, but obviously that changed really quickly now that I've made it to the MD role. Uh, but it gave me the opportunity to take something that was obviously extremely lean and find out how I'm gonna grow this thing, right? So I got to work with the sales manager at that time. Um, things escalated really quickly, but it gave me an opportunity again to look at what they currently have to work with and take it to the next level. So I got to really 
you know, compare other agencies in Toronto, especially where it's extremely oversaturated and figure out, okay, how are we going to differentiate ourselves? And I think that's something that's super key is even if you're doing something that a hundred other people are doing, you need to figure out how are you going to niche? How are you going to offer something that's unique? Um, and I was really able to work with Daniel to grow the agency to figure out what our unique uh, offering is and bring that to the market, specifically in Toronto, where there is literally on our street alone, 10 other agencies doing exactly what we're doing. So for me, it, it was a very different approach to growing the agency. It wasn't doing it from the ground up like Daniel did. It was, okay, we have this brand equity, we have something here, what do we do with it to leverage what we already have? Awesome, thank you so much. So Blair, similarly, you've started AMZ yourself. Um, how do you use marketing to grow your business? Yeah, so um, there, there was a few positions to this question. So um, we tried marketing really early on, um, but at a very early stage I learned like putting um, what was like half a month of our entire profit, which was around $1,000, into like a photo of a warehouse on Facebook, uh, it wasn't going to convert to customers. So I, I learned that very quickly. Um, our, our business so far, we didn't do that much real marketing from a paid standpoint. Um, we were just really grateful that a lot of came from it from more of an organic standpoint. Um, but we knew really early on that we just didn't have the budget to be spending it on, on marketing and, and Google from a, a paid advertising standpoint and leveraging what a lot of our competitors were able to do. So with that sense, we just got very strategic what, what I had available. So instead of paying for someone to create a website, um, I thought it'd be an amazing idea to spend a week in my bedroom in the dark basically learning how to code and building our own website from scratch. So I learned how to do that to kind of keep our resources as much as possible and then looking into keywords on like what people are searching for Amazon, going into all these Facebook groups and just trying to sell myself to the best of the ability. Um, and you can see like as I started to do that, uh, a lot of people in these Facebook groups thought it was an absolute creep trying to do all this stuff. But, and <laughs> trying to position yourself as send me your baby products, I'm a warehouse. It, it was a tricky conversation to have. So I kind of just leverages the resources I had. Um, as we continue to grow, uh, and now that we kind of transition to just a, a higher tier type of organization, we're starting to look more now into more of the paid standpoint. Um, but I'm still trying to keep it on the roots of what we did, which was keeping away from the paid side of it. Um, just to try to keep it lean as possible and just try to keep things organic, word of mouth, referrals, uh, and just doing anything in that sense. So we've, uh, we've dabbled on every aspect of it, but I, I think because of how small our business still is, um, we're at the very early stages of what our marketing could be. So, yeah. Thank you so much. And um, Nicole, so you have a bit of a different experience because Microsoft is you know, a multinational firm. So can you give us some insight on how that's a little bit different than say working at a smaller firm and doing marketing for a smaller firm? Yes, I'd love to. Um, so as you mentioned, Microsoft is a huge company. We are global in pretty much every market around the entire world. Um, that said, we are very unique in the sense that because we are such a large company with multiple lines of business, different product offerings, services, the list goes on. Um, it's very much a centralized company and decisions when it comes to new product developments, new services, investing hugely in R&D and things like that, everything comes from corporate. So that all happens in Seattle, that is in the states where they have, you know, Xbox Studios, they have the um, uh, executives there to make those types of decisions. 
So my role at Xbox Canada as a subsidiary is primarily to um, evangelize and promote um, our products in the local market. So we are not developing new things, we're not seeking for uh, ways to improve our existing products. We're strictly there to um, deliver the message to our local audience in a way that really speaks to them. So for instance, when we think of Xbox in the United States, we know that football is huge. We would invest a lot and partner with um, the NFL, seek uh, sponsorship opportunities with those types of organizations. Whereas in Canada, we are huge fans of the Raptors, for instance. So during my times, we got to work with um, the NBA um, to do some really exciting campaigns and um, connect with um, some Raptors to really create that fan experience. Um, we think of uh, hockey, for instance. So we get to create um, Xbox Canada um, fun giveaways and things like that where we get to connect um, what's really valuable to our local audience and really enrich that fan experience and hopefully bring new adopters uh, within that. Thank you so much. So um, I want to kind of go down the line again with another bit more of a general question that I think we might want to hear from everybody. So what were your biggest obstacles in getting where you are now and getting to the role you are now and the place you are now? Uh, hi, so for me, one of the biggest obstacles was trying to follow, again, a path that wasn't extremely clear um, and trying to find enough time to do the parts of that business that I'm passionate about. It still is a challenge, obviously, but uh, I've been exposed to so many great uh, colleagues, mentors, other entrepreneurs um, that being around them, talking with other founders, with other business coaches, with other creatives, um, always constantly sharing the journey that we're on is, is a really huge help and a, always a positive reinforcement and, and reminder of what you have to go through. Um, for me, my goal is obviously to always have some type of positive impact, whether that's you know, supporting other events, supporting youth that are starting their own projects, supporting nonprofits. So the work that I do at the agency is all to make that happen, right? Um, obviously, it's going to take different forms from you know, hosting a half-day strategy session at a, with a corporate client to you know, coming to Laurier to speak at a panel to um, you know, having to do some of my own uh, social media posts for the company. Um, but that all, again, is like helping to build that towards that goal of the ultimate life that I want to create. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of aspects that are always, always moving and always evolving uh, as you grow. Uh, so for me, I'll expand a little bit of, uh, a little bit on what I already spoke about in terms of finding your niche. For us, our biggest obstacle again has been the fact that we do something that many other agencies offer um, in Toronto. And for us, I think we were able to really differentiate ourselves by finding those unique niches. So oftentimes, people tell you stuff like, "Okay, we work with tech startups," and that's so broad. So we looked at, "Okay, what are the intersections we can work with?" So maybe that's food and technology. Or for us, we work with a lot of large enterprises such as TELUS, CIBC, CBC to help them produce really innovative content, right? So for us, it's been, okay, what are, what are the most
most valuable things we offer, and for us it's the fact that we really speak the language that the startup world speaks, and we can bring that to large uh, companies and organizations. So that's been a huge obstacle for us, is how do we make sure that, yes, even though there's 20 other agencies out there, how can we work with them to partner with them instead of competing with them? Um, so that's an obstacle that we've really worked on aggressively this past year is, you know, instead of just feeling like, okay, what's the point in doing this when everyone else is doing it? How can we do it in a different way? So for us, um, that's something that we want to continue to tackle and really carve out our space in the industry of design and marketing. Yeah, so I think that the list goes on for the, the types of obstacles we, we had to do over the past 18 to 20 months. I think um, the two main ones were one, um, just trying to grow so quickly, especially like from like a warehousing standpoint, um, going from just in over a year from like a 300 square foot to a thousand square foot to a hundred thousand square foot. Um, you can imagine the leases on those suck. So we had to kind of deal with those as we go. Um, so, so kind of just growing and growing at a rapid speed. Um, everyone always said the idea of like, you should be growing over X percent every single year. And that was like a safe bet. Um, I, I kind of blew that out the window, but when I did that, I kind of, I saw the kickbacks that come with trying to manage everything and, and going above your head. So that was a huge issue for us of just trying to scale. Uh, and I think the other part of it was just like wearing multiple hats. So being in school full-time too, um, doing this in third year where I still had like my, my business classes, I had the marketing cases, I had ice week, which was an absolute nightmare trying to balance it out. And, and trying to wear multiple hats in a day was absolutely insane. So in, in a day, I would be a student in the morning. Um, I would be our marketing director at noon. I'd be our, our warehouse associate till eight, our web developer till nine, and then I'd be a CEO for maybe like 10 to two, kind of taking out the fire. So trying to, trying to wear all those hats. Um, I was Blair, I was Chris, our, our billing guy. I was, I was Cody from the warehouse. I was trying to manage all these hats to make us seem a lot bigger than we were. Um, so it made the, the whole process really tricky to do. Um, but every time we did that, we, we kind of learned a lesson. So um, there, there was pros and cons, and I think as we continue to grow, it's not like these issues go away, they just become more complex issues. So it's not just um, like who's gonna do the billing or, or who's gonna be the warehouse associate. Now it's just larger issues of like, how are we gonna hit these quotas or, or how are we gonna employ the staff or what did these taxes look like? So I, I don't think the issues ever go away. I, I just think as you grow, they just get more complex and the, the square that you're dealing in just kind of pushes out and expands like your boundaries on, on what is difficult and the kind of task you have to go towards every day. So for me, um, I kind of just want to take you through where I started in first year and then how I got, I guess, my foot in the door into Microsoft. Um, so I am part of the co-op program, so that means we have four opportunities to um, explore what we like in different industries and see um, where our best fit is. So I started working at a very small startup in Communitech, um, downtown Kitchener. Um, being in a small startup, you do wear many hats. Uh, I was mainly in a business development marketing role, so I got to very much lead the direction of the strategy for the business as we pivoted a couple months in, um, and then build our online presence through social media and um, meeting with our clients and really nurturing um, uh, the relationships we could build as an early stage startup. And then from there, that's when I kind of fell in love with the tech world. I knew that being an art student, um, I wasn't entirely sure where I wanted to end up five years down the line once I was done my 
um, undergrad experience, um, but I, what I did know is that the world was rapidly turning digital and I didn't want to be left behind. So I knew that although I might not have a slew of technical skills as you would in a traditional STEM um, field, I, do, I did want to learn more about it and explore how I could fit in there and what it was that I liked about that. Um, so from there, I did a customer service role at CIBC, and then I learned that I hated the world of finance. And that's how I knew again that marketing was more my niche. Um, from that role, I actually sought out new opportunities. So instead of just doing a customer service role, um, I ended up pivoting into a digital advocacy role. So instead of just servicing clients as they come into the bank, we would introduce them to alternative ways of banking. So anything that you would traditionally come into a bank for, you can essentially achieve online. Um, but introducing that to especially our mature clients who are very resistant to technology can be kind of a challenge. So it was nice to be able to not only assume the role I was hired for, but to branch out and be open to those new opportunities. Um, so from there, I applied to um, the Xbox Canada role that was in the job board at the University of Waterloo. Um, obviously a very competitive nature because um, you, you do get to see who you're up against and how many other people they're interviewing with. Um, but that was a marketing role again, so I knew that it was kind of falling into what my passion was that I discovered in first year. And needless to say, it was obviously the best experience that I've had um, since I've started my undergrad um, experience here. Um, being in the consumer-facing world is a lot of fun because not only do you get to connect with the fans that are buying your products every day, um, you really get to see your work come to life in the market. You know, it's so awesome to be able to work at something at your desk for hours, days, weeks, months, and then be able to walk into a store and see that is my branding on this packaging. It's so much fun. And then to be able to see somebody take that off the shelf and, and use it and enjoy it and connect with people all around the world, it, it was just incredible. Um, but I think that there is a lot to be said in terms of um, being open to new possibilities. I feel like, um, especially for art students, that people find themselves to be stuck in this box, like, oh no, I don't have the X skills, so I shouldn't even apply for that, or they're not going to even consider me because I don't have this one bullet point on this job posting. It's, there's so much that uh, even large corporations value um, having a student that is a clean slate. They love students that are trainable and open and willing to learn new things. You know, that is more valuable than somebody who's been in the industry and set in their ways for X amount of years because you have this drive and ambition to seek new opportunities and build something from the ground up. So although you might feel like you're binded by your degree or you don't have this, you don't have that, um, really take hold of the resources and opportunities that are around you and be willing to try new things because you might just find your passion in doing those things too. Amazing, thank you so much. So um, for an creative group, um, how do you, I know you've touched on this a bit, but how do you guys market yourselves as an ad agency specifically? So to kind of give us some insight into, you know, how does an ad agency which you guys do marketing for other companies, how do you guys market yourself? Because it is a little bit different than how other corporations would market themselves. Yeah, so I think it's extremely important to actually walk the talk. So we tell all our clients, this is how you should market yourselves, these are some strategies and tactics, 
but I think what really sets us apart is the fact that we actually do it ourselves. So the fact that we're at so many events, the fact that we're updating our social constantly, the fact that we're putting out vlogs all the time, the fact that we're putting out original content is huge. Um, because despite the fact that we have so many clients to produce the same content for, we still make sure we make the time to do it for ourselves. I'm not going to lie, when I first started the agency, I'd always give Daniel shit for saying, why are we going to all these events? Why do we have to do all this stuff? Why can't we just focus on our clients? And I, I am not, I'm not going to lie, I didn't see the value in it in the beginning. Uh, but after all this time, I think it's extremely valuable. And that's a great opportunity also for you to build relationships and show people how to market themselves. Um, and it's, it's been great because a lot of our clients will come to us and say, hey, I saw you guys put this in your newsletter. I want to do the exact same thing for my brand. Do it for me. So when you're actually setting the example for your clients, they'll, they'll want you to do the exact same thing for them. Um, especially when you're just starting out the business and you might not have clients to actually produce work for, just do it for yourself, right? Show them what you're capable of. Um, so I think that's uh, something that, you know, is, that I highly recommend. Just put yourself out there, go out there as much as you can. Obviously, with the, with the, you know whatever you're comfortable doing, but um, you know you're gonna you're gonna get drowned in, in all the voices that exist and all the noise. So you want to do as much as you can to stick out for sure. Amazing, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, doing what you tell other people to do, show them that it works. Uh, Blair, so you've taken a bit of a different path here. What advice would you give to students that might want to go into entrepreneurship and start their own business the way you did? Yeah, so um, I, I think there, there was two main things that I, I really learned along the way, um, even though we're, we're so early in, to, the, to the journey of what my business is. But um, number one, that if it's, you think it's too early to join a business or, or start a business or or like apply for that intern or co-op position because it's just, it's not you yet. Um, never think that way. I, I knew like in second year, um, trying to start a business, um, which kind of just like fell on me. Um, all my peers said it was an absolute horrible idea, which to agree, I, com I completely agree with them, but um, it has been an amazing experience and it, it is tough to do so. But the idea that I had to wait till after university was a really big norm that I felt. And it was just like a pressure over my shoulders that uh, if I really wanted to pursue anything, just wait till my degree is done and then I can kind of start fresh after fourth year. So um, kind of reposition myself away from that to kind of think that now I can kind of have like two years ahead of the pack if I start in second year and kind of go full strength. I think that was a, a huge learning curve that I kind of conquered for myself. Um, and I, I think the, the second piece, it's um, a really good question. I think the second piece would just be like, get outside of your comfort zone. I, there were so many times where I kind of had to position myself as something um, I really didn't think I was. And I think just like those opportunities of just like even doing conversations like this and just trying to position myself and talking to these like really large firms and trying to walk the walk, as they were saying, was it's a very difficult thing. So like getting on a phone call with like the supply chain operational of like PepsiCo or like Gillette um, and me basically like Googling what they're saying and like the terms they're saying and me trying to wing it, um, those taught me so much more than if I never took those phone calls and got those opportunities. So I think um, just kind of jumping in with a leap of faith and just going with your gut was, was a huge thing for me. Um, thinking with kind of like my feelings instead of going with like what was around me. Um, it's just like I went with my feelings and it kind of worked out my way, but there's, there's pros and cons of both. So I think those are the two learning curves I've learned, but um, as I continue, every day's a new learning curve. So um, this will continue to grow and develop and change as I kind of finish off 
all of 2020. Awesome. And uh, Nicole, so we are all students here. Um, hopefully, we're going to end up in some sort of job at some point in our lives. So you ended up um, at, in a job that maybe you didn't think you would. How did you differentiate yourself? How did you put yourself in the right position to get, say, your dream job against, like you said, very competitive um, people around you? Yeah, so at the University of Waterloo specifically, I'm not sure how the co-op program here works entirely, but you can see exactly how many applicants also apply to the job, and then when you go in for your round of interviews, you can see precisely who you're interviewing against. Um, so, of course, it can be very discouraging when you see, you know, there's over 300 applicants, like there's no way I'm going to get this job, but you never want to, you can never do too little, I guess would be my first piece of advice. Um, if you only pick the top five employers that you want to work for and then call it a day, it could have been the seventh applicant you sent out that wants to take a chance on you. You know, you're young, you're very new in the industry, you might not have all these experiences, um, and you might not get a Fortune 500 company at your first, second, third internship, but it's all part of a learning process. You have to grow and you have to show that you're willing and open to these new opportunities. So I think that um, when you're trying to differentiate yourself, you know, you want to be creative about it. You are one of however many. You are essentially an online piece of paper that they are skimming keywords for until you make that extra point of standing out. So you might say go to LinkedIn for instance and reach out to the recruiter that you know you apply to and acquaint yourself. Hi, I sent an email or I sent an application on this date, like this is my name, I just wanted to introduce myself to you, I'm really interested in maybe learning more about the company culture here to see if it's a good fit. You don't necessarily need to say I'm looking for this job, I want this role, here's why. It's all about building those relationships because even if it doesn't fare um, how you hope, you now have that connection that you can foster at a later point in time. And if you keep that connection in your circle, you might have an employer down the line that has worked for that recruiter in the past as well, and now you have a referral. So all these things shouldn't be underestimated, I'd say. Um, I very much just want to confirm the power of LinkedIn. Um, recruiters on there are active and you are more likely to find a job using that than just applying to a posting online um, twofold like if you send that personalized message not only are you miles ahead of that person who went through the standard application process you now have a profile picture a face and a personality and just that alone will put you far ahead of the hundreds of other applicants that are searching for the same opportunities as you. Yeah, I was going to add to that. Um, as someone who's hired a number of people in a very um, competitive industry, anything you can do to get ahead, as you mentioned, really to stand out, sorry, really does count. We're inundated with people applying for jobs even when we don't have any postings up. So one of the one of the creative ways was uh, someone had sent us a skateboard. I don't know if you remember this. Yeah, they had sent us like like a, a skateboard where they had custom designed the the back of the skateboard with like all these quotes and things and our logo. Um, obviously, we're gonna we're gonna pay attention to that, right? 
little things you can do that, that get people's attention, um, you know, will really make a difference. And yeah, obviously LinkedIn outreach is great as well, but if you're applying for a creative role, you should do something creative if you can. <laughs> and sorry, I was gonna add one more note. So um, last February, um, we weren't really hiring too much, but we had um, someone that we turned down in the past who was looking for like a creative marketing role, um, send us like a Valentine's Day gift, being like, will you be my new boss? And they sent us like a, a little, it was like nice. a full thing of chocolates with a balloon that you could blow up. So nice. it's getting like that creative edge. Um, obviously I hired him and I, I had to with the, the amount of chocolates he gave. So, but it's like situations like that, just going above and beyond than just, even just a personalized LinkedIn post, like, like anything that you can to kind of stand up from the crowd, like that just got him a new job. And it's, it's such unique experiences like that. So little tiny creative things, you can kind of find a unique edge. It's a huge advantage. So I just want to go down the panel a couple more times. Um, one thing that I do want to ask everybody is, you know, for us, how do you think is the best way, or how would you get the most out of an internship somewhere that you want to be? Okay, so from my experience uh, working with interns and managing interns, um, for me, it's very difficult as a business owner and as a creative who's focused on the clients as well as growing the business to actually have someone who feels like they're they're there when I need them, right? It doesn't mean that you need to be around 24-7, but you need to actually make it known that you are available and that you're on our team. Uh, we had a situation a few years ago in our studio where we had like all these freelancers, all these contractors, and a lot of them kept asking us like, you know, hey, I'm available for projects, and that's great, but the projects would literally go to the people in the room, like the people that showed up, that were there, that were working on their own projects, that were helping us out with their events, project comes up, goes right to them, right? So make yourself known and, and, and present, um, that, that makes a huge uh, difference. Um, so I, obviously you need to constantly remind the team of what you're, what kind of value you're bringing to them. Um, obviously that starts with physically being present. Um, however, I think it's also important to show value by working directly with the team as well. For me, it's always set an intern apart when they're able to really integrate themselves into the team immediately and figure out what value they bring and then you know, help to really build out that process. There's been a number of interns in the past where, you know, they're, they're waiting for us to give them details, or they're, they're just waiting, 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 um, and that doesn't often work out super well for them. It's always worked out really well when they find exactly where they can provide value and they go ham right there, right? Um, so just remind, you know, remind your team constantly, remind your managers constantly of the kind of value you bring and really emphasize that. Because um, oftentimes they kind of, they, they forget, you know, they, they brought on an intern to help with a specific thing, but if there's other areas of the business where you think you can obviously offer value, talk to them about it. And I think that's with Daniel and I, it's, it's for me, I was super curious to learn more about the operations behind the company, the strategy, how did it come to be, what can we do to make it better, and we had those discussions early on. Um, and I think that's what really helped set me apart as an intern. Um, obviously, after all these years, I'm, I'm guessing he you know, liked me enough to keep me around. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, it was like super important to make sure that, you know, just because I saw something there that I didn't think I was supposed to do, that I didn't just ignore it, I'd let Daniel know that, okay, I think this is what we can do for this. What are your thoughts? And just having that conversation is super key. I understand that if you're at a large organization, you may not have the opportunity to do that. Uh, but I mean, you can get creative. There's, a, there's tons of loopholes available to you if you just look for them. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think um, like, like one thing before I even started anything with Amesy, 
Um, I did two different co-op terms. Um, one was doing an auditing position at a small firm, and then the second one is um, more of like a banking analyst position. Um, needless to say, I, I didn't really like either of them. It was just, it wasn't something I did. Uh, and I tried to get into a couple startups because I thought I, I really liked that, the wear multiple hat things and just trying to start with a small business and really make that impact. But what I saw was the biggest value is, is trying to get your feet wet in every single sector. So uh, kind of like understanding that like, you might know what you want to do, but you at least want to like check them off where you still have the opportunity. Um, and co-ops are a really great opportunity to do that because it's only four months. And if you really hate it, you can even bite your tongue and kind of get through it. But at least me going into the accounting, I thought it'd be an amazing field. And I was going to go focus on my CPA. Uh, and after my first year, I completely washed the idea down the drain. But if I waited to kind of make sure that maybe I did three marketing positions in a row and I, I love marketing and then I just kind of switched last minute, like you just don't know what else is out there. Um, so if you're at like a smaller location, it's a lot easier to kind of shift back and forth and get your feet wet in every section. Um, but from a, a larger organization, trying to at least see what other opportunities there are, even though you may be absolutely obsessed with the finance, like try different fields. And even if you aren't willing to kind of jump into a whole different work term in a marketing sector, for example, at least try to conversate with your employer or your manager, whoever it may be, to see if you can at least start dabbling in those streams and seeing what value you can add. Because there's, there's just so many opportunities and you haven't even, for example, touched your creative edge if, if you've always been in a finance-based position. So I, I would just say and recommend if you can try out other sectors or even getting to an opportunity like TAP where you don't have to fully commit to a, a full-time co-op that's four months at a time you're commuting to Toronto every day, but kind of get your feet wet into the, the marketing sector and what it feels like to be working, you'll know pretty quickly if that's something you're passionate about. So at least do the opportunity while you can because it's just, at least it kind of opens up all fields. What was the question again? Um, just uh, how do you think that you can get the most out of your internship, say somewhere you really want to work? Oh, no, that wasn't the question at all. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I was just asking, um, like, no, that wasn't. I just second-guess myself so hard. Yeah, that was the question. So I think that at least what I noticed um, being at such a large organization is that a lot of students couple themselves, especially in the first month, thinking, oh, I need to understand more about the organization and my role before I, I jump into something important here. But the thing that they teach us at Microsoft is to fall hard and to fall fast. You're not going to learn or grow anything if you're just sitting stagnant, watching everybody around you, trying to perfect yourselves before you do absolutely anything. Your employer is going to respect you a lot more when they see that you're continuously learning to try and learn and grow and do something and contribute value to the organization and build your own skill set. I mean, for Microsoft specifically, it was very unique in the sense that we weren't confined to our own roles and responsibilities. They really, really allowed you to work on essentially anything that you found interesting there that you wanted to um, pursue and learn more about for two reasons. A, they want you as students to get the most out of your time there, to build your set of skills, whatever that may be, and B, if you're looking to solve a problem in another part of the business, why would they say no? 
and that's going to differentiate you in your co-op term more than anything. If you can find some problem or some sort of pain point within the organization and you can fill that gap, I guarantee you you're going to find a full-time position after that because not only are you reaching outside of your specific role that you were hired for, but you're differentiating yourselves and you're contributing to a real problem and solving something that's bigger than just your role that you're assigned to. Um, so I think that, you know, really finding what it is that you like will help you in identifying those gaps while you're in the role. But then again, networking with different parts of the business in itself is hugely, hugely valuable. We had an open door policy at Microsoft, so at any point in time, you could see um, the president just having lunch with the intern table. And it's awesome, because they have so much value to contribute to us as young professionals, but then they learn what the student experience is like, and they can make changes from a high-level standpoint that fosters the intern community. And the intern community is huge. There's over 30 students um, that are employed just in Mississauga alone. And again, it's those open door policies that allow you to create a, um, an ecosystem that's beneficial not just for the company, but for you to take beyond um, just your internship as well. I just want to add two things. Uh, one is if you don't love your internship and one is if you do love it. If you, even if you don't love it, make sure you're building relationships with all the people that you're meeting because that is so key. You have no idea where they're going to end up. When I was 17, I started working at the startup. It was like three to four months. Um, luckily, I built some amazing relationships there. And now five years later, it's incredible to see where they are. They recently got acquired. And I kind of got to be a part of, I kind of got to see them grow. Um, and you know, funny enough, we're in the same networks right now. We're working with very similar people. Um, so make sure you're building as many relationships as you can, even if you don't love it. Don't don't just you know, you know, be in a cut your losses kind of mentality. Make sure you're building as many of those relationships as you can, um, and and hang on to them. Even if it's LinkedIn, check in with them, see what they're up to, see if there's any way you can work together. I think that's super important. Um, the second part is, if you do love your internship, but you're dealing with some sort of imposter syndrome or you feel, feel like you don't have the hard skills, um, having a positive attitude really goes a long way. I've had a number of interns where, yes, even though you know they're messing up from time to time, they didn't necessarily have the hard skills. I was really rooting for them constantly and still trying to find a way to build a role for them just because they had such an incredible attitude. Um, they, were, you know, they came in every day being ready to do what they wanted to do or needed to do despite the fact that they didn't, they didn't even have those hard skills and that really set them apart. Yeah, I think that's really great advice and I, I can speak from experience and say that even though I've had a role that I didn't like before, I know that everybody that worked there appreciated me because I was just positive all the time. So even though I was doing work that was saying, not what I was planning on doing. I know that every single member of that organization appreciated me and what I did because I didn't sulk around and I actually you know, made an effort to make the most out of my internship there. So I really appreciate that. Just one, one, one more thing. Okay. Hopefully you can hear me. But I've had people who are with incredible hard skills, but their, their attitude sucks so much that sometimes we're like, do I even, like, I'd rather have someone who's not as good but has a great attitude and keep them around. Um, especially in a startup environment where we're already constantly so tired. Like, my double espresso shot and Red Bull jitters are just kicking in right now. So for me, like, you know, it's, there's like, like, if someone has a great attitude 
I'm so much more happy to root for them as opposed to someone who has the skills but isn't, you know, super happy to be there or is constantly, you know, you know, they're constantly just saying they're not ready to do something or they're not up for it. It really sets you apart when you just come in and you're you're really ready to take on the task, right? All right, thank you so much. So I don't want to I don't want to take the floor for too long. I want to give you guys an, a chance to ask some questions. So I'll open the floor now. Anybody has anyone they anything they'd like to ask? Anyone up here? Yeah, go ahead. Um, this is a question for Creative Now. Earlier, you guys mentioned that you guys underpriced your work, yep. the work you made. How do you get to a point where you can like value the art you make and then like know what price to charge your customers? Yep. So he was asked. The question was about how would we, uh, how would we essentially know what value our, how to value our work and what to charge. So for me, I think in the in the creative industry or any industry where you're, you know, a commodity or there's a lot of people out there, you have to realize what your value is from your unique value, but also you have to be aware of the competition. You also have to know that there's a huge spectrum. Someone can go to their younger sibling or their son or daughter to do the work. They can go to Fiverr and get it for a few dollars, right? They can post that on in a Facebook group. They can hire a contractor, a freelancer, a professional, all the way up to an agency level or, you know, a massive firm, right? So I know that I cannot, I do not try to compete in all of those sectors. And it's about how can we provide that value where we know that it's mutually beneficial. So basically, if we're excited about this project and we can and we can sense the passion, we're going to give you, a, it's going to be a better situation. You're going to actually feel that value, right? Uh, we don't want to make it transactional. In our industry, anytime it's transactional, again, you might as well just post that as a gig online. I'm looking for a logo. Someone just delivers you a logo, right? Um, and, and our um, strategy has always been to add more additional skills, sorry, additional services to that. We're not just going to say, here's your logo, here's the JPEG file, walk away, right? We're going to give you ways that you can use that as a whole brand, right? We're going to give you other aspects of that. We're going to give you a strategy. We're going to work with you on your social media plan and not just say, here's the file and walk away. Um, it's important to communicate that because the client doesn't always know when they're coming up to you what it is, what do you mean by the word branding? Or what does it mean by a website? A website could be something you make for free on Wix, or a website could be $100,000, right? So you really have to be able to communicate that as a service provider. Um, and then again, you also always want to feel like you're providing that uh, customized solution where you're also giving them some recommendations and some advice. Um, in our, the clients that are kind of like a take it or leave it situation, for them, the creative process hasn't even begun before the project is is over, right? That's it. They're just like, I need X, Y, Z. They're looking for something to deliver it. Now that we've grown, we actually choose not to take those ones on because we want to work with people who are open to new ideas, who are open to being creative, and who are actually open to collaborating with us, right? Um, now, again, we're you know over six. We're in our seventh year now. Um, but for sure the first two years, like, you have to just, you have to take what, what comes. Uh, and that's what April mentioned earlier, like, do passion projects or do projects that really show your skill set. Don't wait for the perfect client to come along and say, hey, I need this amazing thing, right? Sorry for the super long answer, but I hope that helps. Yeah, thank you. 
I just want to add, like, it's after almost six or seven years, we're almost just starting to get our ideal projects. And that's not just from, you know, the type of service we're offering, but that's also pricing-wise. So over the past year, we've worked really hard to make sure that we're offering our services at a price that makes sense for us and the client as well. Uh, but we've tripled our pricing, basically, and that was a huge move on our part uh, to just come out and say, you know what, we're kind of done doing things for a couple, well, it's never been a couple dollars, but you get what I mean, right? Um, for a few hundred dollars to what we're currently charging and telling people, this is the value we bring to you. Um, if you don't see the value, that's on you, but you know, we know what we're bringing to the table, and we also have portfolio pieces to prove it as well, right? So just, I think as long as you go, in, go into it with confidence and you know what you're bringing to the table, then you won't experience any issues. But as Daniel mentioned, you will have to, you know, deal with some not ideal projects for some time for sure. But just remember, you know, where, you know, where you're going and keep that in mind. And um, even though it'll be tough, you will get to a point where you're able to, you know, offer your services at a price that makes sense for both parties. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, go ahead. I have a question. Uh, can you talk a bit more about your first client and like your first few clients and how you acquired them, and what your advice would be for someone who's looking for their first few clients, the first time? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, yeah we've Do you mind repeating? Do you mind repeating the question as well? Yeah. So just to confirm, so the question was, um, like, what did that first client look like? Like our first. How, how did you acquire that? How did we get our first client? Yeah, first few clients. Okay, got it. And what that process looked like. Yeah, so um, we had a very like up and down spiral, like what our first couple clients looked like. Um, originally, like what and how we acquired our first ones was like we were just reaching out like through Facebook um, to a lot of just random people and a lot of random Facebook groups, kind of offering our solution. Um, so we had those, and then we also because I created the website, um, what we did was we just created really standard like. Uh, CTAs, which is just essentially we just did a form saying if you're interested in our services on this absolutely horrible website I, I don't even know why people were there but with this horrible website it was a very simple form submission saying if you're interested in our services just click here and, and overnight that got us like 15 plus submissions um, but a lot of our other ones were mainly on the position of like we were just going indirectly I was just going out hard and trying to sell to people so I was just straight finding businesses I would go on amazon.com I'd find like a product and I'd find the business and just call them. So it was very just like hustle place and just literally trying to find them. I just like, and some of these companies were absolutely ginormous. So me trying to talk to them, they had no idea what I was even proposing to them or, or what that looked like. So for those ones, for the first few, it was strictly just trying to hustle. We were just calling. I was just going out there and trying to like sell myself. Um, and I know from more of like an agency standpoint, it was, I was trying to sell myself more than the service. Um, Cause what we were doing is it was nothing revolutionary we weren't like reinventing the wheel we we're just kind of building on fundamentals that we knew worked in the US and then we later just copy and paste it into Canada so because of that it was just it was a lot easier to sell um, but yeah that, that was our first few I hope you guys can chime in yeah I'll, I'll add that uh, for me I because I started off as a freelancer um, it was just me Daniel right so it was exclusively for I actually had a website danieldesign.ca and it was literally just people that I knew for my network um, and eventually that expanded to, you know, friends of those people or colleagues of those people or people have, it does take people a while to realize like you're the go-to person for this thing, right? So, um, my first few clients were all from referrals and then eventually when I did start the agency, I kind of had that, that basis of people. 
um, to the point where um, larger businesses were able to refer the refer me, uh, sorry, refer their colleagues to me. Right. Um, doing events though, like from the very beginning, networking events is massive because you're at an opportunity where someone literally says, "What do you do?" Right. They're giving you permission to straight up tell them exactly who you are and what you do. Uh, and the more of those that you do, you'll be able to build up that following. Uh, another option that you had mentioned is uh, like with Facebook groups, right? Um, at that point, it is a little bit difficult because people don't know who you are. Uh, but if you're able to build that reputation where you're providing some type of value, you're giving people advice, you're, you're constantly commenting and helping people out. When someone does need something, they're going to go to the guy who's always commenting in the group, right? Starting off a company must be tough, but how do you how do you position yourself? How do you what's your process of when you're stuck? How do you reach out to your network, or what are the tools that you guys use uh, that helped you when you were stuck and you know wanted to get out of your own way? Sure, sure. So um, kind of like the question was so like when we originally started the business, how did we position ourselves, uh, and then in situations when we were stuck like on early on, like what did we do to kind of get out of those those ruts, right? Yeah. Take it first, Dan. Uh, yeah, so, so for me, um, I, I, again, I waited a while. I didn't have much of a network when it came to other people running their own businesses. Um, a lot of my friends that graduated with me from OCAD didn't start freelancing or start their own agencies. So um, I didn't have that immediate network to turn to. So I, I, I joined things like Board of Trades, um, the RGD, Professional Graphic Designers Association. Um, obviously looked at you know all kinds of articles online about situations and you'll be surprised if you look on things like reddit like you'll literally find like people with the exact scenarios that you have um, and it's, it's just that reassurance and, and how to get out of those situations um, nowadays there's tons and tons of podcasts on any niche subject uh, they don't have to be your industry right they could be leadership podcasts they could be uh, podcasts about a totally different sector but as long as it's entrepreneurship or business-minded you'll really find those those stories um, one of the situations when I was freelancing the whole reason I started this agency is because I did kind of get stuck at that price point uh, going from cafe to cafe in Brampton and Mississauga you know kicking being kicked out because it's closed or there's no outlets available and it's like what do I do to get out of this like small business card project, right? Um, so I repositioned myself. I moved to a new location. I rented a desk at a co-working space. I literally incorporated my business and had the uh, that be my business address. Documents showed up there, and I started fresh, right? Uh, sometimes you have to kind of refresh your own state of mind to get out of that situation and move to the next step. Yeah, and I think uh, from a like I used to kill Gary Vee from a yes. podcast standpoint, which is absolute huge motivation. But um, for me, like uh, one of the stories I think from a, a positioning standpoint, so really early on in the business, um, I actually called ourselves like, right now it's AMZ Prep Canada. Uh, I thought it'd be a genius way to say Amazon Prep Canada. So I, I put Amazon Prep Canada as my website very early on. Uh, and one of our first clients that came up to us, um, initially the first thing they said, and I didn't think anything of it, it's like, oh, like you guys must, like work with Amazon, you guys must be partners. I was like, uh, no, like, why, why would that ever be an issue? They're like, your name's Amazon Prep. Like you must have like purchased off an affiliation or like how did you license that name? 
I was like, oh, I was like, we didn't license it. He's like, okay, you should probably look into that because there's got to be some legalities behind it. So like really early on, like we got caught with that. <laughs> so I had the position pretty quickly on like switching our name um, before like Amazon actually crushed us for, for basically like stealing a part of their trademark. But, uh, and even just like early on, I think just like getting out of those ruts, um, like yeah, podcast really worked for like a motivational, but I was just really passionate about what I was doing. Um, like even like nights now, I'm still sleeping in the office. So I think it's, you really have to really love what you gotta do. Um, there's parts of the business where I absolutely hate, like I didn't like being in a warehouse labeling baby products till 2 a.m. in the morning, but I was really passionate about the businesses we're helping, helping these like really small mom and pop shops turn into like hundred million dollar companies. It's just, it's, it's exciting to kind of be a part of it. So I think just that the passion behind it kind of drove me through it. But um, like even days now, like I still get in ruts and grits of like trying to manage school and trying to do the business and like the becoming a firefighter half the day, trying to handle the amount of mess that happens at the office. So I think every day it's a different rut. Um, but I think just being passionate about it and just kind of flip it to a positive um, it sounds pretty cheesy but I think that kind of drove me through it and then those pivots like now like we're, we're still pivoting every day um, like we're learning more about what these businesses want we're trying to understand it and then we're trying to slowly pivot our business accordingly so it's not like we're ever like stagnant we're just we're always trying to adjust and because of that I get really excited about like what we can do in the future what other services we can provide so I think it's just always keeping a clear head and just um, really being a passion about it, whether that's a course, whether that's a small business, or just like trying to communicate with a, a brand new customer and trying to help out like what you can actually do to help them. I, I think it all aligns to the same thing of just like thinking on a positive aspect and what value you can actually bring to them. Yeah. Sorry, I actually have something else I wanted to add um, to that question. Um, having worked at a startup in early stages as well, I think finding a mentor was hugely uh, key to our success as an early stage company. Um, you know, somebody who is preferably in that industry, has experience, and somebody you admire would want to be like, um, is able to a, provide you with more insight into the industry, they have more experience, and they have the network to be able to kind of look at things from an outsider's perspective. I think sometimes you get stuck in your own bubble and sometimes um, when you're, especially when you're in a rut, you don't see things that might be um, obvious to somebody who's not in that ecosystem. So having somebody that can take a fresh look at things um, from an, an objective standpoint and really try and help you navigate through those tough pain points um, can really help you get through um, things when they're really tricky as well. So. I also think it's just important to remember that it's all part of the process. If you're not messing up, you're probably not doing what you need to be doing. Um, so it's important to remember, like, you know, we have some days where we're like, you know, like, what's happening? What are we doing? But it's it's so important to remember that it's it's a part of it. It, it really is, and it really just means growing pains. It means you're growing. So. And I, I think just like um, kind of touching on the mentor thing, it, it, it doesn't always have to be that you have to find this. A revolutionary mentor that you have to like search for online and like through the abyss of the land you're gonna find this amazing mentor like this could just be uh, another student or just an individual who's worked at Microsoft that you can kind of look up to and ask for the experience like I had mentors in first and second year that were in fourth year um, that like helped me with class notes and different ways to help out with exams right so it's all these opportunities from like a business standpoint or from a class standpoint that like you can kind of look up at anyone so whether that's like appear in like one of your clubs whether they're on like your intramurals team or just in your class 
just kind of connecting with them, then hopefully they, they're going to have some sort of inspiration you might be able to follow, or maybe they've got an amazing intern that you haven't had. So like that, the little tiny insights, like that can be a mentor as well, or it can be someone else, right? So just keep your mind open for who can be your mentor, um, but it could be anyone, right? So just keep your, keep your mind open. Is it, we have time for one or two more questions. Uh, in the back. I had a question about the personal branding. It sort of goes like for all of you. I mean, you guys have different perspectives, but I'm someone who's applying to call jobs in the fall. And it's kind of hard to set yourself apart. So if you've been through it having applied in a very competitive company, and you guys are hiring people with hundreds of resumes and cover letters and LinkedIn, what really sticks out to you? Sure. So, so the question was, um, like, what on like as he's applying for co-op, like, what does that personal branding look like? like? How he can kind of stand out for the competitors? How can he make sure that his brand is is so much different um, from each of our perspectives? But please chime. Um, sure, I'll start. Um, I think first and foremost would be to manage your presence online. Um, before you even get to that interview process, every employer is ultimately going to check all of your social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, beyond. Um, so make sure that you're presenting yourself in a way that you actually want to be perceived. Um, those things are really important. Uh, employers want to be able to hire somebody that is going to represent the brand well. And I think that, you know, in managing that, you want to make sure that um, if you're applying to a creative role, you're standing out in a creative way. So maybe instead of sending um, a standard uh, email template, um, get fancy with some Photoshop and spruce it up. Use the logo in um, your cover letter. Use their specific fonts, colors. Make it seem thoughtful and intentional. And kind of put yourself in the shoes as if you're already an employee of the organization. They'll walk into that interview with much more confidence and the employer will be able to absorb that energy and feel that from you. You know, if you're open to new ideas and you really want something, the employer is going to get that from the initiative you took before, during, and after the interview as well. So that would be my advice. Yeah, like um, pretty early on I learned, like I always thought the idea of like, these employers are going to completely scan your social media was more of just like a, a bluff more than anything. Um, but I, every single person that's ever applied, like I went so deep on their social media. I'm like, I'm like four years back starting to like scan like what they did as a child growing up. So I think it's absolutely true. And I agree that like make sure that just your presence online, uh, it doesn't have to be. And I raise flags when every single account's blocked because that's exactly what I did on my Instagram is I thought if I just block everything and then there's no player on social media, then that's a, a better approach than being open and kind of just showing what my life is about. Um, so I, I think it's just adding that creative edge, like know that they do look, uh, <laughs> but don't take that as like a downfall. And if it is a negative, try to position it to a positive. If you know they're looking, like make them watch more than anything. So kind of get creative with what you're doing and like those, those smaller positioning things and how you can kind of add this smaller value. Um, yeah, so I unlocked my Instagram, but I just, I was a little more creative with what I was doing on Instagram when they were looking at it. So even like um, for the one I, I was hiring for, uh, it was like a, a really small startup at the time. Um, but like my story, when I started to apply and I reached out on LinkedIn and then I reached out to her on Instagram as well, like I made my story with like their t-shirt on, right? Being like, hire me. So it was like, it was smaller things like that because I knew they were going to look anyway, just by chance. Like, I don't think she ever looked at it. 
so I click an idiot on <laughs> Instagram for some reason, but uh, it's smaller edges like that. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say that obviously I have a personal brand as an entrepreneur, as we all do, as leaders, as whatever, whatever you are, you have your personal brand, which is separate from your job and your business, right? So that exists when you're in between jobs, that exists when you're starting an additional business or shutting down your business. Um, so you, you do have to be mindful of it, as, as you've kind of mentioned. Uh, when it comes to applying for jobs, um, I highly recommend not putting you're not just containing your past job experience on your resume. Uh, as a student, you're not gonna have a ton of it. If you have had 12 part-time jobs so far as a student, great, but it doesn't matter if you went from Tim Hortons to Mr. Sub to the library to whatever, right? We don't wanna know that. The part that I look at, which I'm looking at right now for some two of our internship positions, what were the clubs, teams that you were a part of, what was a project you started, what was a charity you were you did a fundraiser for, right? Like, did you co-host an event? Like, what was it that you did that actually identifies the skill set that you have and the interest that you have? Um, the biggest the biggest thing for me that I'm interested, well, sorry, the thing that I'm most interested in a candidate is when they show some type of initiative on their own, you literally, it could be as small as having a blog or a YouTube channel. We get excited about that because this person is out there putting out content, right? Doing their own thing. Uh, and the second thing is, if, if you can show that you connect to the company, so for us, we obviously value creativity, entrepreneurship, and social good. If you can show that you connect on that in your cover letter, in your email intro, in whatever it is, um, we're automatically gonna put you towards the top of the interview list. Yeah, you definitely have a personal brand, whether or not you want to have one. So like Blair mentioned, if you have nothing online, that is your personal brand that you, you know, you're trying to be as non-existent as possible. But um, I think it's super important to make yourself as relevant as possible to wherever you're trying to apply to, right? So Dana mentioned our core values. If we see that someone really, you know, embraces those core values, that will instantly set them apart. If they love the world of entrepreneurship, that instantly sets them apart. So just make sure you're making yourself as relevant as you can. And even if you feel like you're your experiences don't matter, make them matter. Um, even if you did retail and now you're applying for a biz dev role at a tech startup, talk about how you offered really awesome customer experiences at Foot Locker, right? Or talk about how you, you know, your sales went through the roof or whatever it is, but you can get really creative about how you're making yourself relevant. And then I, I think um, just adding a little bit more than general member, like uh, 19 clubs. So, if, and if you are a general member of 19 clubs, at least like make it look really good. So if you, and I see it all the time where it's just like a list of all the general members, but just adding that a little bit more, if you're an exec for this position, like what did you actually do? Anything to kind of stand out, because um, we see pretty often that every single club of LASOC, basically, you're part of, but like what did you do for them? Not just a list, but like did you add value? What's your position? What does your day-to-day -day look like? Maybe add like one project that you completely manned the ship on. Like small things like that, and then you'll be able to add value. Just to add on um, to kind of what you had said, um, Blair, I don't think you guys should underestimate the power of social media and events like these have. I don't know how much experience you have um, prior to right now, I guess, but even things like this, like all of you guys sitting here right now took time out of your day amongst thousands of other students to come and sit here, hopefully learn one, maybe two things from all of us here today. Post about it. Show that you're 
learning and growing and doing something for your personal development. Those things, especially if you don't have a ton of experience already, are going to signal to the employers when they do create your social media that you are looking for new opportunities to build and grow and learn new things. And B, you're um, growing your network with us here today. So go home, take a picture in front of that sign, and post about it. I'm telling you, it can make a world of a difference in the long term if you keep adding to it and building to it. It's Especially LinkedIn is just a portfolio of you and your growth as you continue on and build your careers as well. And then add us on LinkedIn. <laughs> that too. Plug. Plug. Awesome. Thank you. So I'm going to wrap this up. We don't want to go too much over time. I want to give everybody a chance to maybe talk on a bit more personal level. There's food to eat as well. But big thank you to you guys for coming out. I know I learned a lot.